Good morning. And let me just say welcome. We're so glad you're here today. Um, enjoying our blustery weather after thinking spring was here yesterday. Life changes quickly, just like the weather. And that's why things like life-changing community and being here together are things, ways we can grow together, learn from each other, um, and just worship God together. So thanks for being here for those things. The conference, Life-Changing Community, you should all have a card on your seat. And on the back is a sign-up. So if you haven't already signed up online, uh, grab a pen from the seat back in front of you and sign up. The first one, Soul Care Night, uh, that is on a Tuesday. March 15th is a Tuesday. We're going to have child care and meals. So grab a pen, check off the ones you can attend, and pass it towards the center. And just put them, pile them up on the seat there. We'll pick them up. Um, ownership is on Wednesday and Thursday, and Family 101 is on Wednesday or Thursday. So you, there's no need to miss any of them, because you can do one one night, one the other. This is our chance to be all in together, learning, and taking the, it's the end of our campaign about life-changing community. And then it ends on Saturday, next Saturday, with Mission 101. So those are the days of the week on there. See what you can do, try and come. There's so much that we can do by learning and growing together. Right now, um, something I'm working on and growing and learning from each other is um, praying the scriptures. And that's just something that I'm learning from my fellow LifeBridge um, attenders. And it's a life-changing thing. So find out what it is that's going to help you grow in your discipleship with Christ, grow in your service to your um, community, and just grow in your spiritual life as we do this together. So don't forget that. Um, also... Thank you for being generous. It ha not only does it help us do things here, but it helps us as we are generous. It helps us kind of get us outside of ourselves and think about somebody else. So you can give online or in the boxes, in the hallway, or in the back of the um, lobby. So again, thanks for being here. Let's bring up John Adams to tell us about <laughs> one of the classes you can take and bring us our message today. Thanks, Tia. I came like running in from the lobby because I looked at the clock and I was, it was past 10.30. I was afraid I was going to leave Tia hanging up here, which has happened to me before, where I'm like, the next person coming up isn't in here yet. I'm like, what do I do? So, whew, glad to know I made it in time when I saw Tia standing up here still talking. Okay. So, our, where are we? Let's go to that one. Yes. Uh, Family 101, so Wednesday and Thursday, March 17th, times and everything are on the website. If you go to lifebridge.church slash conference, um, and you can you have those cards on the, on the chairs there as well. Family 101 is our new course that we're going to have this campaign. So every campaign we want to have a new course that kind of ties into the campaign. And in this one, we're talking about community. So family is like the microcosm of the church community. Uh, it's like the smaller communities within our bigger community of church. So we're talking about family uh, and what family is all about. So what we're going to do in this course is talk about a biblical concept of family. And it'll be like 30,000 foot view. Okay, I promise. You're like, this is a 101? Look out. Um, we're going to talk about what family is from a biblical perspective um, and how LifeBridge, as a church, we seek to support families uh, and to support marriages and uh, help parents raise Christ-centered kids. So we're going to talk about our, our youth discipleship program, what's happening in the rooms right now uh, while we're in here, and we'll also talk about 
what we're planning on launching for youth discipleship in the fall. So, if you can, if you, I'd encourage you to check out Family 101 on these days. And again, as Tia said, uh, do your best to get there. Don't do this if it's just something that you don't have anything else going on. Prioritize it. Make a point to be there. I think it will be worth your time. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon. Would you guys join with me in prayer? Father, Lord, we praise your name. We glorify you. Lord, you are holy. You are good. And Lord, we want to just worship you in community together collectively. Now, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you would form us into the image of Christ and make us a community that pursues holiness together, and Lord, that pursues life change in you, Christ. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, if you're visiting with us, our, uh, obviously our church order of service is a little bit different than a lot of other churches. We do announcements first. I'm going to go through the text and walk through part of scripture here, and then we're going to sing. I'll apply it, and then uh, we will close with one more song after that. Our campaign right now is called Life Changing Community. We're talking about how the church is to be a different type of community than a lot of other communities that we find ourselves a part of. Church is much more than just a social club where we kind of gather around mutual interests and have fun together. Church is more than a business networking club where we have a mutual interest in furthering our business relationships. Church is to be a community that forms us into the image of Christ. Uh, part of what we are doing here is to grow to being like Jesus. And that changes the way that we do community in a lot of ways. And we've been outlining all of these ways throughout the, uh, gosh, what is this? This is week eight or nine that I'm teaching. So we've been outlining eight or nine of these ways that we are to be different as a church community than just other social groups or clubs. Last week we talked about truth, how we as a community need to be formed around truth and pursuing truth together as a community. Part of that is telling the truth about ourselves, uh, honestly reflecting on our true nature and our, our struggles and our sins and our weaknesses and our strengths and telling those to God, but also confessing those to one another. That's kind of a good segue into what we're talking about today. Uh, in a life-changing community, we are to uh, humbly pursue holiness together. We are humbly pursuing holiness together in a life-changing community. Again, Christian community is about spiritual growth and formation. We're becoming more like Jesus. So we should collectively be pursuing holiness together. We'll talk about a couple of implications of that when I come back up and apply it later. But this is the topic that the Apostle Paul is addressing in Galatians chapter 6, the beginning, the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 6. We were in Galatians last week as well, so if you remember this, uh, kudos to you. If you don't, that's cool. What Paul is talking about here in Galatians is there's a, there's a group of uh, what he calls the circumcision party, okay, which you guys are like, that's not a party I want to go to, right? That sounds not fun at all. Um, not what that means. So there was this group of Judaizers, we can call them as well. So they, uh, they were a group that thought when somebody accepted Jesus in the early church of Galatia here, which was, uh, uh, yeah, so when somebody accepted Jesus in this church that you had to now follow the law of Moses. 
So that meant if you were a man, you needed to be circumcised when you became a follower of Jesus. That meant that you had to then follow the Old Testament dietary laws. You needed to eat kosher now is what they were trying to convince the people of. Um, you had to follow all of the ceremonial rituals and everything else that the Jewish people had done for centuries as a part of the law of Moses. Paul writes this letter of Galatians and says, absolutely not. <laughs> when you accept Jesus, you don't have to do that stuff and follow the law of Moses in the same way that you did before. That would be to distort the entire gospel, is what he says. That Then Christ died for nothing. If we're justified by the law, then Christ died for nothing. And in Galatians chapter 5 and 6, what he's answering is largely a question of, okay, so if we're not following the law of Moses anymore, how do we live righteously? Like, how do we expect people to do what is right? They, uh, how can we, how do they know what is right? One, and then how are they going to live in it if we don't have this set standard and series of laws that we say live up to these? Paul's answer is largely use your freedom to serve other people. So we're free from the law. So instead of thinking of where's the floor, of like how, how close can I get to sin before it becomes sin, don't, don't even like get that out of your perspective. Go the entire other direction so you're not even close to it. That you're thinking of like, how can I serve other people? So much so. And just keep loving other people and give everything that I can for them. Like that should be our perspective now. Instead of thinking where's the floor, how, where's the ceiling? How much can I give? How much can I serve? He says to live by the Spirit of God is a big part of it as well. This is where he goes through the fruit of the Spirit, which is well known. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are, those are collectively what the Spirit produces in us. And then he says the works of the flesh are obvious. So like sin is pretty obvious. Uh, you know you likely know when you're sinning, is what he's telling the Galatian church. And he goes through a long list, which we'll talk about later. Here in chapter 6, now he gets to the community response. So when somebody is caught in a sin, he says, what should we as a community do? And how do we handle it collectively in the church? So we're going to begin reading in chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. He says, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to the church family. If someone is caught in a sin, so even that word caught in a sin, it implies caught by surprise. Caught's a good translation of it. Okay, it just means it was a surprise. It kind of crept up on you. It snuck up on you, and, and you're in this sin, and you didn't realize. You, you're not there intentionally is basically it. So that's what's in view here. What's not in view is continuous, willing, unrepentant sin. Not in view. For Paul, I think he would say that's like outside of the purview of being a Christian. Like if you're in continuous, willing, unrepentant sin, I think he would say you need to question if the Spirit of God is working in you and convicting you and calling you towards holiness and righteousness because that's part of what the Spirit of God does. Because I think they're a contradiction in terms. Living a life of continuous, unrepentant, those qualifications are important, that's why I keep saying them, because we all sin, right? Continuous, unrepentant, willing sin, if that is a part of your lifestyle, then you need to go back to the beginning and question if you're truly in Christ. Say, am I following Jesus? Is Jesus Lord of my life? Do I have the Holy Spirit of God? Is the Holy Spirit convicting me and calling me towards holiness and righteousness? You need to go back 
Confess your sin to Christ, repent and turn to him and follow him with all of your life. Because what Paul's talking about here is just a surprise. Like this happens. We all sin, but it shouldn't be continuous, willing, and unrepentant. So if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. He says, you who live by the Spirit, he's likely referring to those who exemplify the fruit of the Spirit, which he has just outlined. Literally, this means spiritual people. So you who are spiritual, he says, should restore this person gently. So those of us within the community of faith who have progressed further in following Jesus and are living a life that is marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is important, again, to read this in context, because if I were to say, if I were to ask you, just privately, to describe for me a spiritual person, what would you say? I'm going to give you just a second. You don't have to answer. Don't answer out loud. We're in church. That's cool. But just what would you say? I said, what's this, who's a spiritual person? If you could describe the characteristics of a spiritual person, what would you say? Would it be the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. Like, you're like, no, that just sounds like a nice guy, <laughs> like a nice person. Paul's like, no, that, that's actually a spiritual person. We tend to think of a spiritual person as somebody who's like very charismatic, who can speak to a large group of people in a way that they respond, or that claims that they have divine revelations from God all the time, or, or outside of the Christian tradition, somebody who talks like very quietly and slowly and tends to ask good questions and is a little weird, a little off, right? Like they live out in the wilderness by themselves and usually don't shave and stuff like that, right? We have this like stereotypical picture of a spiritual person. That's not the biblical definition of a spiritual person. A spiritual person, according to Paul, is somebody who exemplifies the fruit of the Spirit. And this is a very important thing for us to get. To identify spiritual people, not as somebody who's just charismatic and claims to have divine revelations from God, but as somebody whose character and life shows the fruit of the Spirit. Then he goes on uh, to talk about how we should restore that person gently, he says. The restore them gently, the, the word restore kind of implies like a dislocated joint that's popped back into place, okay? So when somebody falls into sin unexpectedly, like a dislocated finger, happens unexpectedly again, unless you like dislocating your finger and popping it back into place, which is a little weird because it kind of hurts. But when it pops out of, pla- out of place, you just pop it back in, Right? And what he has in mind here is not like, not like a kung fu movie where dude gets punched and his shoulder pops out and everybody's screaming and yelling and then he pops it back into place and keeps fighting. Not it, right? It's like a finger, pops out a joint, you go to a doctor, they'll quietly, gently kind of just pop it back in. That's kind of the image of what we have in view. And he says, gently. You're not beating him over the head with the Bible. Saying, you fool, you sinned, bam, and like, constantly driving it on them. That's not it. That's not what Paul's after here. You who are spiritual should restore that person gently. Then he goes on, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So the type of temptation that he has in mind here is likely the comparison game. So if you're trying to help somebody who's caught in a sin and you're you're coming alongside them to help carry their burden, as he's going to say in verse 2, Be careful that you don't start comparing yourself to them and take pride in how much better you are than them, is what he's after. 
by thinking like, oh, well, at least I don't struggle with that. I'm crushing it. That's sin. That's pride as well creeping up in you. So he's warning against both here. He says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So remember, he has carrying each other's burdens of, of when somebody is caught in a sin in mind. And in doing this, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So this is a, a clever little play on words that Paul's doing here. Remember, the, those who are opposing him at the church in Galatia, they want people to follow the law of Moses. He's saying, no, follow the law of Christ. The law of Christ is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. As he says in Galatians 5.14, just a few verses prior, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, he gave two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So in carrying one another's burdens and coming alongside one another when we're struggling with a sin, we are loving our neighbor. And he says in verse 3, this is a little offensive, but it's cool. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. <laughs> it's true, right? <laughs> so again, he's talking to those who are more spiritual here, who are the people helping counsel, come alongside somebody who's caught in a sin. So if you think you're something when you're not, you're deceiving yourself, he says. So don't think that you're so great and you got it all figured out and you got this all put together. You got your life on track. No, like... Apart from the grace of God, you would be there too. Apart from God's grace in producing the fruit of the Spirit within you, you'd be there too. So we have to keep in mind this aspect of God's grace and out of compassion and love and not allow ourselves to become prideful when it comes to helping somebody who's caught in sin. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Okay, so this is, again, going back to the watch yourself, or you might be tempted, we don't want to fall into the sin of pride. He's talking about here, we have personal responsibility too. So yes, we should help carry one another's burdens, but we also need to maintain the tension of also having personal responsibility. We'll talk about this more when we apply this text. But if you've ever like, been in the thick of it with somebody who's caught in a sin, or you've counseled people through struggles with life or sin, like, you know this tension that you're, you're helping them, you're helping to carry their burden, but they also have personal responsibility and grace from God to get out of the situation themselves. That you can't carry their full burden for them, but you can help. So there's this tension there that he's gonna explain later. For each one should carry their own load. Yeah, Paul, but you just said we should carry each other's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. Remember, there's tension. There's tension there. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So what he has in mind here is likely um, the, those who are more spiritual are leaders of the church, the, the elders, the pastors of the church who are called to help carry the load of those who are in the church and struggling with sin. And so those who are receiving this spiritual instruction should share all good things. That includes financially. But that also includes just sharing all good things with them. And as somebody who has counseled a number of people through struggles with sin and other life circumstances, one of the best things that you can share with somebody who is counseling you and helping you is just encouragement. 
like the successes and the wins, because oftentimes like, you only really reach out to a counselor when you're struggling with something, right? And that makes sense. But one of the most encouraging things that we can hear is when you've overcome that, or you've found success, or you're doing great, or you're leaning onto God, and when you don't think you need to reach out to a counselor, perhaps do, to say, thank you, I'm doing great. That's huge. That goes a long way. Share all good things with your instructor. Now in verse 7, he kind of trans- transitions a little bit. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So again, remember, this is all in the context of how do we, so since we're not following the law of Moses anymore, how do we know what is right? How do we know what is wrong? And how are we supposed to live in this Christian community? Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Remember, he's gone through a long list of what it means to uh, live for your flesh or live for your sinful nature. And the end result of that is destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life, he says. In Galatians 5, I might as well read them. I was planning on reading them later, but I'll read them now. Uh, what he means by sowing to please, please the flesh, in Galatians 5:19 through 21, he talks about the acts of the flesh are obvious, that's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. You're like, I didn't know that word was in the Bible. It is, yeah. The Bible's PG-13, I'm telling you. All right, you should read it. It's a good book. So, <laughs> whatever I can do to convince you to read the Bible more, I'm in, right? That's what it looks like sowing to please the flesh, and Paul says the end of that leads to destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The end result of that is eternal life. So Paul's solution here is live for the Spirit of God. Live to please the Spirit of God. You know what the acts of the flesh are, that's obvious. Live for the Spirit of God. Live to please Him. And against such things, there is no law, he says. And the end result is eternal life. Band, you guys can come and get set up. Then he wraps up this section by saying, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So again, he's talking about helping one another, being a community that gets into the thick of it with each other and helps one another as we struggle to maintain holiness. Don't grow weary in doing good, he says. And at the proper time, proper time implies God's timing. So when God brings about the results, we continue to do good. I've been harping on this time and time again in our goodness uh, sermon a, a few weeks ago. We do good, and we allow God to bring the results. It might not be the most practical, it might not be pragmatic, but we're called to continue to do good and allow God to bring the results in his timing. And we can have faith and trust that God will bring that harvest in his timing. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So as we talked about being a culture of goodness, 
Let us do good to all people, especially to the family of believers. So part of that is carrying one another's burdens, is getting into the thick of life with one another, helping one another carry our burdens, maintaining personal holiness and personal responsibility. We keep doing good within the community. Even if it doesn't seem to be producing the results that we want, we keep doing good. We don't sacrifice goodness to bring about results. And it doesn't just stop here within the church community. We're supposed to do good to our city. Do good for Burlington, your workplace. You should be bringing goodness everywhere you go as a follower of Christ. Let's pray. We're going to sing a little bit, and then I'll come up and apply this. Lord, God, we thank you for your word that calls us to strive for holiness together in community and what that looks like. Lord, we don't want to just be a social club, but Lord, we want to be a community that strives for holiness because Jesus, you have saved us. You have died for us. Lord, in light of your love, we want to live for you. We want to do what pleases you, Lord. Not out of fear of condemnation, but Lord, because you have accepted us, we want to live for you. Lord, help us pursue holiness individually. Help us pursue holiness collectively as a community and to live for you, Lord. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing a few songs together. If you guys need prayer while we're singing, Michael is in the back and he would love to pray with you. of global turmoil and war when we are confident that we will see your goodness Lord that you are faithful that you are holding things together and Jesus our hope is in you and in your return and the establishment Lord of, of your good kingdom Lord you are the only good king We surrender to you. We want to live for you. Help us, Lord, to not grow weary in doing good, but trust in your faithfulness, in your power, in your goodness, that at the proper time you will bring a harvest, Lord. So, Jesus, we long for your return. We trust in you as our only good king. And Lord, we surrender all to you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat for a few minutes. Our big idea is that in a life-changing community, we're humbly pursuing holiness together. This has two kind of underlying implications that I wanted to bring up first before we get into some practical application. First of all, is that you actually care about holiness. <laughs> that when you exist in a community that is pursuing holiness together, that implies that you care about this, and this is something that you desire. So when this process that Paul outlines of carrying one another's burdens and pursuing holiness and wanting to do what pleases the Spirit of God, the, the baseline implication is very simple, that you want to do what pleases God. And in the church, there are two ditches on this, uh, in this way of thinking. 
My dad uses this analogy all the time, and I think it's great. There are two ditches. We want to drive on the road. One ditch is to say, well, only talk about God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, and that's all that there is, and therefore I'm free to live however I want and do whatever I want. God will forgive me. It's cool. So there's no morality. There's no following any, sent, any sort of uh, moral imperatives. You just, ah, anything goes. That's one ditch. That's not what Scripture teaches. We are to pursue holiness, not to please God, but because God has accepted us and given us the Holy Spirit and because of what he has done to save us. Because of his mercy, that's why we desire to please God. The other ditch is to only talk about morality and righteousness as like the only thing without any sense of forgiveness and grace and mercy. Missing that God has accepted you and chosen you and forgiven you and that Jesus has died to redeem you and set you free. And all we talk about then is holiness and we kind of beat people over the head with it and say, you're not living up to this standard. To which the response is, well, Christ has forgiven me of all my sin, past, present, and future when I put my faith and trust in him, right? So those are the two ditches. We need to drive in the middle. We need to care about holiness, but remember that, again, we have been accepted by Christ, chosen, saved, redeemed in Christ Jesus when our faith and trust is in him. And out of that acceptance is how we pursue holiness, okay? Not for that acceptance, but out of that acceptance, It's a big difference. We're striving to please God because he has saved us and because he has redeemed us and made us whole. And so we want to live a life that pleases the spirit of God, that exemplifies the fruit of the spirit. But to do so, we need to care about holiness. And when we do that, when somebody uh, either points out your sin in a loving, gentle, kind way, or you're working together with somebody to help live a holy life, that's a joyous experience. And this is a big difference between a Christian community that is a life-changing community and our friendship or like other relationships because we're pursuing holiness together. So we can even rejoice in that. Nobody likes to have their sin called out. But when it's in a, a close relationship with somebody who you know loves you and cares about you, that can, that's a good thing. That can be a joyous experience together because you're becoming more like Christ. And second, it implies that you are in close relationship with somebody to pursue it, with your church community, that you have close relationships with people who can gently restore you, people who are spiritual and can gently restore you to wholeness when you do fall into a sin. One of the temptations of church culture is to just keep people at arm's length because it's easier, because the way church is set up, like we can come on Sunday and I check my box for the week and I'm good. Instead of being in close relationship with the people that we are a part of the church with. And when you do that, what it, what it does, it produces this just beautiful sense of, I'm not alone in this, right? You're not alone in this struggle for sin. That you have the Holy Spirit of God whom, God, whom God has given you. So you're not alone that you have God with you, indwelling you, helping you strive towards holiness, You're also not alone that you have people around you who care about you and love you. But that takes sacrifice to invest. That trust is built over a long period of time of being present in each other's lives, of being there for one another, of helping each other when you are in need, of asking for help when you're in need, and being willing to help when somebody else is in need. That trust is built over time. And the fruit of that will come out when you're struggling with something as well. 
And so we need to be in close relationship. Church is much more than just what happens here on Sunday in the corporate gatherings. It's an important part of it. But it is the relationships that exist here. And this implies that we have these close relationships. And so we're willing to be open and vulnerable with somebody who is uh, a trusted confidant we can share our life with. That takes time to build that trust, but it's really, really important. Oh, man, I forgot to change this after first service. I meant to like, oh, gosh. I meant to just like show these one at a time, but whatever, you know them all. You know where I'm going now, you know? <laughs> all right. So the things that Paul calls us to do in pursuing the holiness together in a life-changing community is one, to carry one another's burdens. Carry one another's burdens. So what that means, again, is that we're in close relationship with somebody whom we can share our sin and our struggle with. We can share our burdens with. So when we fall into a sin, remember, an unexpected sin creeps up on you and it gets you, right? You share. You have somebody that you can reach out to. You know that you're not alone in this. So you can share your burden with somebody. Let somebody help you carry that burden. So if you don't have that person in your life, I would encourage you to read that list of the fruit of the Spirit again. And say, do I know anybody who embodies this list and that I can reach out to and to help me bear the burden of my sin, who can walk through this with me when I'm struggling. It's very important to know that you're not alone in that struggle. So we have to be vulnerable. We have to reach out for when we are struggling with sin. And honestly, guys, it's, it's less important that you have somebody who's just going to be constantly asking you these questions, like, all the time. Like, that's cool. But just, like, a close, trusted friend who knows you so well that will know when something is off and will ask you. Because when you're stuck in sin, oftentimes you, your temptation is to withdraw and to keep it secret and to hide away from other people, even your closest friends. You need somebody who's close enough in your life who will notice that and say, what's going on? I've noticed something's off. Can we talk? So that we can pursue holiness together. But again, this is countercultural. That relationship is built over time and investment and sacrifice. So you need to put the time in now for when you need it later. So we need to carry one of those burdens. So that's, that's the like being vulnerable and open and reaching out to people side of it. The other side of it is getting into the thick of it with others. <laughs> being willing to go there with other people. Don't just hold others at arm's length and say, they got themselves into this mess, they can get out of it. But being willing to carry that burden with them and to help them and to be there for them. And I would encourage you to get into the thick of it with a few. <laughs> get into it with a few, all right? Some of us have more capacity than others to carry burdens, but we all have a limit. We all have a limit. If you're a bleeding heart, you'll likely be tempted to get into the thick of it with as many as you possibly can. <laughs> and then before you know it, you're overwhelmed. And you're, it can lead to sadness, it can lead to depression, it can lead to a lot. Because you're carrying burdens from too many people. And you can crumble under the weight of that pretty quickly. This is a tough, this is a tough topic to preach on to a large group. <laughs> because some of you need to do something. 
like, you're like keeping everybody at arm's length and you're like, I don't want to ask any hard questions because somebody might cry in front of me. And if somebody cries in front of me, I don't know what to do. It's really awkward. Like, that's not great either. We need to help carry one another's burdens, get into the thick of it with somebody and build trust, build a relationship. And others of you, you tend to be, uh, again, a bleeding heart who is carrying too many people's burdens. And me just saying, dive into it more, is going to just add to that burden on you. Because what often happens, and as Paul warns us about in here, is that when we try to carry too many burdens, it can, it can be a pride in and of itself. Because you then feel needed by that person. You, you can quickly develop a, a savior complex to say, like, I'm... I'm going to save them, and without me, they can't get through this. And before long, you're, you're carrying way too much of the burden from that person or from others. And there's a real pride in that. That comes with comparison, that I'm doing better than them. I can carry this for them. We need to remember that God has given them the grace to carry that. You might be a part of that grace in helping them, but ultimately, God has given them the grace. We need to maintain that personal responsibility aspect as well. So, you need to pray and seek God on this. Am I keeping people at arm's length because I don't want to get into the thick of it? I don't want to carry anybody's burden. That sounds hard. I don't want to get involved in relationships and get to know people because I'm going to get offended. They're going to get offended by me. And uh, it's just messy. I don't want to, yeah, yuck. That's not good, right? That's not carrying one another's burdens. Or are you the type of person who has been carrying too many burdens and you need to carry a few, but you can't carry them all? Next, we need to maintain a sense of personal responsibility. In these relationships where somebody is caught in a sin and somebody is helping them through it and helping them carry their burden, oftentimes what I hear from individuals who are caught in the sin is they'll blame their sin on their counselor or their life coach or whoever is trying to help them through it and say, well, if they would have kept me accountable, I wouldn't have fallen into this. Or if they would have just reached out to me more, then I would have been better off. Nope. <laughs> Personal responsibility, okay? We all carry our own load in the same way. We're all accountable to God ourselves. That is, blaming somebody else for your mistake is one of the things that I tell my kids often, how that's a sign of immaturity. We need to own up to our mistakes when we sin, when we fail. My fault. <laughs> that was on me. We confess that. We repent. Christ forgives us, and we move on. But we need to carry our own burden and maintain our own responsibility as well. Also, when you are helping somebody who is caught in a sin, remember that they have the grace, again, to get out of it. You might be a part of that grace, but you can't carry the burden entirely for them. They have God's spirit as well. And the good news of all of this is that when we try to carry our own heavy burdens even, like it feels like a heavy burden, and you guys may be like, man, that's, a, that's harsh. <laughs> Ouch, dude. Good news is what Jesus has said and how Jesus has told us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light in Matthew 11. He said, come to me, you, here, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's precisely what Jesus is talking about, that 
the burden of the law, of keeping the law and trying to follow all of the rules and all the mandates and all the moral codes, all of that stuff is a heavy burden that we can't hold it ourselves. We're going to fail. But the good news of Jesus is that he has died for us and he has given us his forgiveness and he has given us the Holy Spirit of God to help us in working through sin in our lives. And so his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And in doing so in community, it can be a real joy to love your neighbor and carry their burden with them and to model Christ and his love for us. So we need to maintain this personal responsibility. And as he says in the last few verses, we need to live to please the spirit of God and in doing so receive eternal life in Jesus, this eternal life that we can experience now, this abundant life of Christ that he has given us now. We maintain personal responsibility. And you already see where I'm going next. But uh, thirdly, keep doing good. (laughs) Don't give up. Keep doing good. Keep pursuing goodness in your own personal life and in the community life. Keep striving for goodness together. I can't tell you guys just how encouraging these words are to me. I'm preaching to myself right now as much as I'm preaching to you. All right? Because there are so many times where I just want to throw in the towel and say, forget it. This whole meekness thing, this whole like love your neighbor thing and goodness, it doesn't work. I just want to tell people off. I want to tell you what's up. <laughs> right? Like when you're in a meeting with somebody who's sharing their struggles with you, I'm like, let me just tell you what's really wrong with you, man. <laughs> and, and what you need to do to fix it. And just be a total jerk. Right? But words like this from the Apostle Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. Keep doing good are so encouraging. Keep doing good. So in your personal life, in your personal striving for holiness, keep striving for good. It may not be bringing the desired results that you want. It may not be that you're perfectly healthy. (laughs) It may not be that God has given you great wealth and prosperity and everything that you want by being good and pleasing him because this is a false mentality that people tend to have. If I do good, God will bless me with all of this stuff. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. But we kind of hold God captive by this and say, God, I've been good. Why haven't you been blessing me with all of this stuff? And so the temptation then might be to throw that off and say, forget it. I'm not living your way anymore. No, Paul's encouragement to us is keep striving to do what pleases God. Keep doing good. And at the proper time, you will reap a harvest, he says. That In God's timing, he will bring about goodness in your life. Ultimately, we know how the story ends when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom. Ultimately, in God's timing, he will bring about goodness. Also, don't become weary in doing good when you're in the thick of it with other people. Again, if you've counseled people for a while, it's a real struggle sometimes. People don't just hear what you say the first time and then fix everything in their life. It doesn't work that way, right? It takes time. It takes investment. So don't grow weary in getting into the thick of it with other people and bearing their burdens together. They may not be fixing everything right away, 
They may not be overcoming sin like left and right and like, yes, victory, victory. It may be one step forward, two steps back. It may be a real struggle sometimes. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't stop investing in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ sitting here around you. Stay in it with them. If you're not seeing the results that you want, keep loving them by bearing their burdens. Because at the end of it, Paul says eternal life is what he holds out as the reward for goodness and maintaining faithfulness. And this is eternal life, this abundant life that Christ gives us, we can live in now. That Jesus' way is the best way. That when we're tempted to give up the goodness culture, the goodness life, and just go get ours and do what we want that'll help us win or be successful in life. An example, I can make a lot more money cheating in business practices, right? And probably not get caught. You can get away with it. You know the loopholes, all that stuff. Don't do it because Jesus' way is the best way, and we trust that. And the goodness culture demands we do that. Because at the end of it is the abundant life that Christ has for us. An eternal life, ultimately, with God forever. I've been saying this a lot. Do good and leave the results to God in his timing. It is our responsibility to do what is right, C.S. Lewis says this, it's our responsibility to do what is right, the rest lies with God. So do good and allow God to bring the results. Let's pray and then we'll sing one more song together. Lord, would you convict us? Spirit of God, would you convict us? If we aren't pursuing holiness, call us to holiness, Lord. If we're not investing in the lives of others as we should, call us to that. Lord, if we're bearing too many of others' burdens and we're overwhelmed, Lord, would you help us to cast our burdens upon you, Jesus, to give them to you, to care for others while casting our burdens on you. Lord, we thank you that your yoke is easy and that your burden is light. And Lord, it is a joy to follow you. Thank you for your forgiveness that you have accepted us and so, Lord, we can strive for holiness out of that acceptance. And we're not worried about your casting us off or saying you're out of the family. But, Lord, we want to strive to please you because of your great mercy that you have shown us. When we consider your love, how can we not want to please you and do what is right and good and true? Lord, help us to be a community that pursues holiness together. Lord, where we're open, we're vulnerable in trusted relationships with spiritual people who are exemplifying and living out the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, help us to love one another as you have loved us. And Lord, for those who are just weary of doing good, who are tempted to throw in the towel and say, I'm out, I'm gonna do it my way now. Give us the patience, the perseverance to not give up, to keep doing good. And Lord, to trust in your sovereign timing that at the right time, you will bring about a harvest. Thank you that we can trust you, Lord, and that our hope is in you. And again, Jesus, we long for your return and we will be with you forever. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you guys pray with me as we close? Lord, 
Jesus, we thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So Lord, when we feel overwhelmed, point us to the cross. That Lord, you have taken our sin upon yourself, even though we have offended you so many times. And Lord, we continue to fall into sin. Yet Lord, you have forgiven us. You have given us your grace and your mercy. And Lord, out of that mercy, it is our desire to do what pleases you, to live a life that is holy and pleasing to you. And Lord, it is a joy to do this in community where we know that we are not alone. Help us, Lord, to love one another by carrying one another's burdens in a way that honors you. And Lord, for those who are just weary and are tired of doing good and not seeing results or seeing the fruit of their labor, would you encourage them to continue doing good, to continue carrying burdens, to continue pursuing holiness, to not give up, because Lord, our trust is in you and you are sovereign and you are holy and you are powerful and Lord, you are good. So Lord, it is a joy to serve you. Thank you for the peace that comes of knowing that you are God and you are in control and that you are sovereign. Lord, help us to trust that you will bring about your divinely ordained results at the right time. And Lord, it is up to us to just do good, to keep loving people, keep pursuing holiness. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys need prayer. Michael will stay in the back and he'd love to pray with you. If not, thanks for being here. Have a great week.